Down the right field line, pretty well hit, Lombard way! It's the right way here tonight! Yogi Berra said it's 90% mental, the other half is physical. My name is Ryan LaVarnway, Major League Catcher and Minor League Grinder, and I've spent the last 15 years playing professional baseball while evolving my mindset. I'm fascinated by optimizing that 90%. In this show, I'll talk to elite athletes and mindset coaches about what makes them tick and how they've overcome obstacles in their own careers on the way to finding success. This is Finding the Way. Welcome to Finding the Way. I'm Ryan LaVarnway, and today my guest is Peter Moylan, former teammate of mine, former manager of mine, former big league stud. Uh, Peter Moylan was originally signed by the Minnesota Twins out of West Australia. Didn't make it very far, got about as far as rookie ball, which is the lowest level of the minor leagues. And after two surgeries, selling some pharmaceuticals, and nine years, finally made it to the big leagues. Uh, this guy is the perfect example of if you get knocked down, get back up. If the path is not a straight line, that doesn't mean you can't accomplish your dream. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Peter, thanks for joining me. Of course. When you asked me, I got I got really excited. As you just said in the opening, it's almost like a perfect uh, little podcast for me. So let's, uh, let's get into it, man. I, I'm excited to tell my story again. Yeah, 100%. So... I was just with you in Australia recently playing yeah. in the, the Australian Professional Baseball League. It is not the most popular sport in that country. No, so, it is definitely not. So what drew you to baseball in the first place? So my old man had come over to the States uh, for a business trip. He was in real estate, and there was a conference in Houston, Texas. He So he goes along, does the conference, and part of the conference was to go to the Astrodome and check out a baseball game. He saw it, fell in love with it brought me a glove and a bat home and and we just found the local t-ball spot and just progressed from there started playing t-ball uh we don't actually well back then we didn't do coach pitch until under 13s oh wow so yeah when that even that was a, a, a nightmare so <laughs> uh we were a little we were a little behind in our development as far as hitting goes um and i wasn't that good to start off with i couldn't make a state team until uh later in life when i was in the under 18 team uh, so I guess I was a late bloomer. Um, yeah, man, it's uh, it's been it's been a roller coaster ride from from the start, honestly. So so you end up making the state team at eighteen. How do you get signed to go to the Minnesota Twins and come stateside? I was pitching against the local team in uh, at the under eighteen national championships, which is something that happens every year. There's a 18, 16s and a fourteen national championships, and there's usually scouts from every team watching guys and, and seeing what's going on. So uh, Howie Norsetter was a scout for the Minnesota Twins, and he was there watching me pitch against South Australia. I was actually a shortstop, okay. but I was pitching this game, uh, and I gave up a hitter, a, a base hit to the first hitter of the game and then went the seven straight innings without giving up another hit. Wow. Um, so pretty good performance. And then actually he left to go watch the other age groups and my next outing was horrible. So lucky he missed that because I don't know <laughs> if he would have signed me afterwards. Uh, but then he signed me and I, and I, yeah, went over to the States and had my first three years of, of, I guess you'd call it pro ball, but I didn't, I didn't think it was in my head. Okay. So, so you get released from, from rookie ball, which is, is much more common than people realize people, right. people get drafted. They think they're going to make it. It's it's like half a percentage of people that even get to pro ball ever make it to the big leagues. You were one of the 99% that doesn't make it. You go back to Australia, you're selling pharmaceuticals, and you continue playing 
in the Australian Professional League, but you're playing first base, you're playing shortstop. I am. And and you end up having two back surgeries. Yeah. Before that, I had to go to Taiwan. So I went to Taiwan in between to try and re- revive my career. Uh, I was still pitching, and that's when I blew out for the second time and realized that that pitching may not be for me at this point. I was managing a team, and we needed some hitting. So you were Sorry, you were coaching is, already. I was already coaching. Yeah, yeah. How old were you at this uh, point? Uh, 25, 26. Okay, so you're in like your prime. What's supposed to be the prime of your physical life? You're already done. Your body's failing, and you're coaching. I'm coaching and playing at the same time. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'm playing first base, as you said, but we needed some pitching this year. So I decided this was after two years of not pitching at all, and I decided to give the little drop down angle uh, a try because. In theory, I've been out of swing viciously for two straight years and not have an issue. So I figured if I could use the same rotational uh, concept with my throwing, then I might be able to still pitch. And I dropped my arm angle down, gained more velocity than anyone's ever gained in their life. Nothing to do with the pharmaceuticals, <laughs> just to clarify. And yeah, so it was uh, it was almost like I found my natural slot. Uh, and I was pitching... At that point, I was only pitching in local games and i don't know if you went and saw a local game while you were there but the, the standard it was a it was a beer league it was just grown men that had either stopped playing professionally or, or are trying to keep young guys trying to keep playing professionally all mixed together and uh yeah i was i was throwing the ball really well and then deeble was actually the australian manager at the time john deeble he was watching me pitch and wanted me to come try out for the world baseball classic team yeah, uh, Diebel, who was our pitching coach, w- together with us when we were in Australia last yeah. couple of months ago. Um, so you you decide, I'm going to throw sidearm because it doesn't hurt as much. And Correct. all of a sudden, you're throwing 94, 96 miles per hour out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. My, I originally topped out. I was that standard right-handed, over-the-top 88 to 91 guy when I was in rookie ball. Um, I felt comfortable enough from that arm slot, but then obviously it, it, it didn't progress. So... Um, but I honestly think that that just happened to be my natural slot. Uh, I had to develop something other than the fastball. When I signed, I did. Right. Uh, I had other pitches that I messed around with for the World Baseball Classic. But it was mainly just grabbed it grabbed it by four seams and, and let it rip and let it do what it was going to do. And that got me to the point where pitched against Venezuela in the Classic and then the Braves signed me the next day. So so the Braves signed – what's going through your head at this point? You're like – I. Were, did you feel like you had failed? Did you feel like you were never going to oh, yeah. pitch professionally in yeah. the States again? I squandered any opportunity I thought that I'd had. Guys don't get second chances, especially from Australia. Early on, it was a visa issue. And then it just became the fact that, you know, if you'd, if you'd been given a chance to go there at 17, 18, 19, whatever it ends up being, you don't get a chance to go back at 27. That just doesn't happen. So... I had thought, spent the last six and a half, seven years of being out of professional baseball thinking that that dream was over. I had to find something else. And then I'm a pharmaceutical rep and I'm in Orlando, Florida, pitching for Team Australia, which which I, was, I wasn't I was even on the radar for Team Australia for the longest time. Yeah, you kind of came out of nowhere for that too. Came out of nowhere. And then I'm, I'm, I'm trying out for the World Baseball Classic, pitching for the, uh, Team Australia against Venezuela, who had Maglio Adonez, Miguel Cabrera, Bobby Abreu, like some of the studs. yeah, some of the best hitters in the world at the time, and I'm doing okay. So the next day, the Braves come up to me and they say, "We want you to sign," and I'm like, "Okay, okay well, I got a pretty decent job. I got a family at home. What do I do?" Uh, and I knew in my heart that I couldn't continue 
have been given a second chance. And if I had have said no to that, I couldn't I couldn't live with myself. So I just I went for it. So so that's a great point. You had the second chance, but you had the family at home. You had some responsibilities. How did you end I up making everything. that decision to chase the well, dream I, again? I spoke to my wife at the time, um, and we we just sort of said, look, basically around that, if I if I don't do this, neither one of us are going to be able to live with me for the next however long it ends up being. So this is something that we have to do. Uh, the money was enough that you know it wasn't hundreds of thousands of dollars, but it was more than my first signing bonus. So that's hilarious. Uh, but it was enough that, you know, if I stuck it out for a year just to see what happens, it's at least worth a chance. So we did it. So you did it. You get to the big leagues almost immediately that year. Almost immediately. It's <laughs> pretty amazing from just total obscurity across the world, pitching in the yeah. big leagues for the Atlanta Braves. Um, and sh shortly thereafter, end up tearing your elbow, right? Was that a, a year yeah, later well, or so? It was about a year, I got a year in. So I got uh, all of 2006, uh, which was roller coaster. I was in Richmond, Virginia yep. with the R Braves at, at that point. Oh, they were the, they were the uh, flying squirrels when I went through there. Oh, right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I was in Richmond, Virginia. I was having a great time in AAA. Wasn't pitching well at all, but enjoying the experience of being around the guys you know there was a collection of the guys that thought they should have been in the big leagues and then a good collection of older guys are just trying to hang on so it was a good mix for me uh and then got called up four times that year wow for short stints a couple of weeks at a time uh did better in the big leagues that i was doing in triple a uh but i got so lucky okay so here's a story for you end of 2006 they'd called up all the september call-ups I was the last guy on the 40 man that hadn't been called up sitting in AAA. That was the year of the world baseball classic. So I still had my return flight booked from the classic that I was going to use to get home to Australia that I'd had booked on September 3rd, which was enough time to clear the end of the AAA season gets to September 2nd. I'm leaving the next day to come home to Australia. There's two rainouts in Philadelphia back to back day. So they're playing two double headers in a row and they need pitching. I get a phone call on the 2nd of September hey, we need you in the big leagues in Philly. I pushed my flight back a month. I ended up spending the whole month in in the big leagues and doing pretty well. I think that's the only reason I get invited back the next year to, to, to have another crack. And then 2007 was the best year I ever had. Oh my God, that's crazy. Crazy. Bags are packed. You're, you got the cab to the airport I'm booked. I'm done. We're in Charlotte and I'm going from Charlotte to LAX, LAX home. And in your head, you're, you're maybe not coming back. You're going back but, to pharmaceutical sales. It was a fun exercise. Let's go pick up the bootstraps and see what happens. And yeah, I get a call from Bobby Cox. Unbelievable. So so you have your great month in the big leagues. Yep. I imagine you go back to Australia and play in the Australian league in the winter. I did. <laughs> yeah, I did. Absolutely did. We won a championship that year for the Aces. Yeah. Okay, very cool. Yeah. And so the for most of our listeners are American. They don't understand how this Australian professional baseball league works you're better to tell them than i am I'll, i mean i've experienced all that yeah, you so, should tell them so what i experienced was just first of all a absolute blast you know you're yeah. in a smaller stadium that are we had 1800 seats in that stadium and we sold it out once and the stadium's yeah. way outside of town like when we went to sydney to play the sydney team it's very much not in sydney <laughs> um but a lot of the local australian players they all have other jobs you know, one of our, our best, you know, franchise Australian players, he he drives a street sweeper truck all through the night, doesn't sleep, and then shows up to the game and is one of our best hitters. Uh, yep. One of our best relief pitchers 
is digging tunnels all day in a orange jumpsuit or an orange like vest <laughs> and he comes to the field and just strikes dudes out all day so these guys have regular jobs and come to the field and it's almost like a release like they love doing it which it's, the it's, it's so refreshing to see just a pure love of the game but then for you to be on the braves and then showing yeah. up you must have dominated that league uh i it was yeah it was I was pretty good. Velo was all over the place. Guys in Australia hadn't seen a lot of Velo. Uh, I had I had some pretty good numbers in in the league. But I, at that point, it was only I think it was only like a month that the season went for. It wasn't as long as it is now. Okay. So it was easier for me to get myself ready and for the end of the season and, and just pitch for a month and get ready for spring training because I was still trying to make that team when I went back to spring training the next year. Oh, absolutely. I I, I had an okay month. But I certainly did enough to say, didn't do enough to, for them to say, okay, he's our six-inning guy. Right. You you did enough to say it's worth bringing me back, but not enough Correct. that you're established. And getting exactly. established in the big leagues is really hard. These are the best players in the world, and you have to reprove exactly. it every single day. So you come yep. back the next year. You you pretty I think you get sent to AAA again and then end up making the team a week or two later. Right. Exactly. Yep. I was in AAA for, for a week, got two outings in AAA, and then got called up in 07. And then I was in the big leagues from 2000, all the way – through two sets is the greatest year of my life. Like I, I, you want to talk about the minute I felt like I belonged was, it was like about mid through, midway through 2007. You still never feel comfortable enough to where you're like, okay, this is it now. Right. But there was a moment in 2007 where I was like, okay, I'm doing fairly decent here. I figured some stuff out. And I, if I can just keep doing this, things are going to be okay. So talk me through that mindset shift and, and what it did for you. You know, hopefully our listeners can can take something out of this because right. you you ended up breaking a big league record. I don't know if it was that year, but eventually you broke a big league record for most appearances to start a season without allowing a home run. And not only did right. you break it, but you broke it by like 14 games by the next closest right. guy. So that makes you the best of all time at not giving up homers. Right. That's, now you said it that way. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Heck yeah. But I, I had to pitch myself into that into that confidence too. It was, uh, you know, there was. I remember Brian McCann came out at one stage uh, and uh, we were playing against the Chicago Cubs and I'd come into, I'd come into a game and I was like 84 to 88 and he calls time and he comes running out and I, I, I had so many things going through my head at this stage. I, I didn't know what my arm slot was. I didn't know what pitches I wanted to throw. I didn't know how to get guys out. I didn't know what my strengths were. I was just so raw. And he comes out and he looks at me and he goes, hey, aren't you that guy that throws 95? And I'm like, yeah, I am. And he goes, he punched me on the chest. He goes, well, let's see it. From that point, it was kind of like, well, you know, if I'm going to do this, let's do this. There's no point half-assing this, excuse my French, but it go all in and and see what comes of it. And then, yeah, as I said, there was about a midway point of the season where I think I came in with runners on second and third, none out and got out of it without getting up a run. And, and you know, to see the look on the starter's face, to see the look on the manager's face, to see the look on everyone's like, hey man, like that's a that's a great job. And I wanted I, I craved that, not the pat on the back, but the completion of a good job. Doing a good job for the good job's sake. Exactly. That's that's so great. And you just leaned into like, what are my strengths? Is what that's what right. I'm hearing. Like, what are my strengths? Let's just do that. Did you stop worrying about improving your weaknesses at a certain point, or do you still work on those also? I still work on them now because that's the main thing that that especially with television, because I've obviously pivoted into TV now. Uh, I, I It's easy to do the stuff that I'm comfortable doing. It's harder to do the stuff that, that makes you sweat a little bit. But if you can get through those things, that's the that's the key. 
Yeah. So so lean into. I'm I'm just trying to get this as far as someone taking taken away. Lean into your strengths while also working on the weaknesses. Absolutely. You get the strength is what got you here, and what's what are going to continue to get you to go places is is what got you there in the first place. They they are always going to be there. They're like a you need to finesse those ones, but it's the stuff in the middle you really got to work with. Absolutely. So so you have this tremendous season. Now you've established yourself. And you get bit by, by the injury bug again. You end up missing a yes. couple years. You have a shoulder surgery. You have an elbow surgery. You eventually have another elbow surgery. Yep. What's going through your head there? Do you ever think about quitting again? Or what's your mindset to, to get you back? And what keeps you motivated to keep coming back for more? This is where I got lucky. I made a decision uh, in 2014. I, I went through 2011 to 13, which were just kind of nonsense years. Um up and down in the big league levels all over the place, as you said, fighting injury bugs. And not just one, it's it's three or four at a time. It's I blew out my second elbow. I had another back surgery in between that as well. So it was just a whole lot of things that were going on. And then I made the decision to cut out alcohol in 2014. But the sheer point, again, I was like, if you're going to have another crack at this, I'd just blown out my second Tommy John in spring training with Houston. I was a week away from making the team. I then go from being guaranteed a million dollars to making $850 every two weeks on workers' compensation. So I was like, okay, that's a bit of a change. Yeah. Uh, and then I had to rehab myself as well. So because I wasn't affiliated with the team, I was having to go to, to, to sit alongside hip replacement patients and do my own elbow rehab. So that was a bit of a nightmare. But eventually, 2015 rolls around and I get a phone call from the Braves and they say, Hey, have you ever thought about coaching? So I'm like, okay, I'm at that point in my career now. I mean, this is, and I said, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't know what was happening with my arm, whether I was going to come back at all. I'll try coaching. Sure. So I went and signed a deal, player coach deal with Braves where I'd work on my own elbow stuff during the mornings and the afternoons. And then I'd, I'd be the coach with the kids for the rest of the day. So Ended up getting called up in 15 and the 15th of August that year. And then I was in the big leagues from then until the end of 18. So I, I bucked the system a little bit with the coaches thing, but you know, it's, it's, I, I just never wanted to, I wanted to be the reason why I, I, I stopped playing. I didn't want it to be someone else's decision. Yeah. That what did, the, what did the pitchers on that staff think when you were their coach? And then all of a sudden you got called up ahead of them. <laughs> so that was in i was in rookie ball so oh they, they were just they were just excited i was literally going to be the uh the able pitching coach the short season able pitching coach that year in danville uh but i just had a great time with the kids you know, i found myself sitting there coaching these kids and talking about stuff that i'm like oh well you could use that well you can use that it just it, we don't often sit back and go how would I coach someone going through this out of this situation instead of we're just being all focused on us? Yeah, there's something to that. I find myself coaching eight to 10 year olds in the winter and, and giving them hitting advice. And it's the same idea of like, oh yeah, I forget about that sometimes. I could really use yeah. that. Exactly. It's crazy. That's, that's That was that was the biggest part. And I, I look, I, I'd say things happen for a reason and I honestly mean it. And And that was some of the best learning that I did as a pitcher that that six months when i was down in in danville with dan meyer and and uh it was just you know the the like you said the the pleasure 
of playing the game of baseball that you found from the Aussie guys this year is it's all those kids are so they haven't been broken yet. <laughs> so they're in rookie ball. They, they all think they're, they're a chance to make the big leagues. They've all got the great attitude. So it was a good time for me too. That's awesome. So let's fast forward to now you manage the team in Melbourne in the Melbourne, sorry, in the off season. Got to say it yes. like an Aussie. You do. You, you manage the team. You won two championships in a row. Yes. This, this year didn't go so hot. It got a little bit better yeah. while I was there. But sure did. What's what's working well? And, and if you want, we could talk about when I was there and what was different when I was there. Or or you can talk about what went really well the two years that you had won the championship and what was different on the yeah. team that lost this year. Uh, interesting. Um, it, was, it was the ability to click as quickly as we did the first two years. Um, I think... Uh, we became a unit so, so quickly in that year. And like we kind of gelled towards the end of this year, we had that from the get-go for the first two years. So I guess that the biggest difference was, you know, there's a lot of issues that we were dealing with off the field uh, before you got there this year. Um, guys unhappy with certain aspects of, of what had come when they arrived in Australia, which you get with every single team, I'm sure. Yeah, off and the field it, issues that leak onto the, the field. field. Issues. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and we we got hit with a couple of injury bugs. Uh, our our two our two hole hitter and our four hole hitter uh, were out for for weeks at a time, which is something that you can't have in a short season of of ten weeks. So. Not to put excuses on anything, I also feel like that I could have taken more of a role as far as I didn't get there until the week of the first week because of all my commitments over here. But even with the running of the trainings and the and the and the amount of signs that you need to be prepared for in situations in the game, that I just sort of a situation would come up and I think, man, we should have probably worth thought about this during the week. So <laughs> this was my first year as full time manager. I did it last year, but we weren't able to get the imports in last year because of COVID. Mm. So it was just an Australian league where guys were kind of just having some fun and, and we played Canberra about 11 times, it felt like. <laughs> so this was my first foray into full-time managing. So Got it. I learned so much too. There was there was something you said to me when I first arrived. So uh, just a little context for the listeners. The season in Australia is 10 weeks. You play four games a week and it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it's the weekend yes. and the rest of the week you either tour around or, or the guys go to work. And I show up after six weeks, so the season's already three, two-thirds, three-quarters of the way over, and you say, I don't need you to be anybody except for exactly who you are. Yep. And we ended up, you know, the team was maybe 12 and 18 in games I didn't play in and, and maybe 8 and 2 in the games I did play in. It's yep. not because I hit 500. I hit about 270. You know, I had a couple big hits in there. But it was something about the way I just started yelling at everybody in like a fun way. Yep. Like, right. We d it was just like a, let's do this together. What, it, what did you see from the managerial perspective in that? Exactly what it was. Everybody seemed to kind of relax and it, and it almost was almost in, in time with looking at the scoreboard and thinking, sorry, looking at the standings and thinking, oh man, we're almost out of this. So it was almost, let's play with house money. You came in screaming at everyone, <laughs> everybody kind of relaxed a little bit and realized that, Hey, you know, we, we were a chance to do something here. And it ended up turning out that if we had have won our last four games, we would have made the playoffs, which is obviously then you look back at the season and think about all the games that you blew and it's even worse in a shorter season because, you know, over the course of 162, there might be a handful that you're like, oh, we probably should have taken those. If there's two or three in a 40-game in a season, that's that's going to crush you. So, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. We we just we just grabbed a hold of an attitude of, of why not let's just have a crack at this, all of, all of us together. And it was, uh, it was a really, really fun few weeks, honestly. And you know what? It, it's 
I just heard what you said echoed in what you said about making yourself the best you could be earlier in your career of like a, right. why not just lean all in and just do this full go. Exactly. It's hard to manage that many personalities too. That's the other thing that I found is that when you're dealing with 22, 24, 25 different guys, everyone, everyone's different. Yeah. And you know, I used to sit down when they do all those psych exams that would, when you'd make a certain team and you have to fill out forms and you'd find out whether you're a mozzie or whatever it was and there'd be four different quadrants. I'd be like, man, this is such nonsense. But I get it now as a manager. I, I want to know how I'm supposed to approach you and how, how you're going to take what I have to offer best. And how to offer it in a way that they're going to receive it. Correct. 100%. Some guys like getting yelled at. Some guys, if you yell at them, you'll never get them back. True. So it's it's been it's it's I understand the, the the nuances to to managing people now a little bit more too. And I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm an expert, but that's <laughs> uh, I'm learning every single day. Well, you're getting there. Uh, thank you so much. Before I let you go, I, I always ask yeah. everyone one thing at the end of the episode. If there's a kid out there that either has an injury or maybe sees a roadblock in their way to accomplishing their dream, you've been the perfect example of someone that doesn't let anything stop you. What advice would you give to that kid or, or that young adult that really wants to do something special but, but yeah. can't see the direct path to get there? I mean, the best piece of advice that I've ever been given was if it is to, if it is to be, it's up to me. So I take that both sides of it. There's only one person that's going to stop, stop you from doing what you want to do, and that's you because you've given up at some point. Until someone else, until it's, you've absolutely exhausted every opportunity that you possibly had, you, you've still got a chance. Um, Scott has, uh, Sean Casimir told me one time that he was like, uh, as long as you've got a uniform, you've got a chance. So if you can continue to keep getting an opportunity to play somewhere when no matter where it is, or no matter what you're doing, then you're still a chance. And someone's going to, someone's going to see you. The world has, has shrunk so much in the last even 10 years that if you're doing something, you're going to get seen and you're going to get a chance. And, th and that applies not only in the sports world, but in any job, right? Anybody that yeah. if you're, if you're on the company roster, you have a job, you have a chance, no exactly. matter what you're doing. If you have a, an application to get into that college, you have a chance. If you have an instrument to play in the band, you have a chance. So, um, I really appreciate your time today, Peter. Thank you so much. Of course, man. Anytime. Thank you for listening. This has been finding the way. Thanks for listening to Finding the Way with Ryan LaVarnway. Find previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.